have your Bible, go ahead and grab those. And today we'll be in John chapter 6 for our scripture reading this morning. If you are a guest here this morning, we have been slowly working our way through the Gospel of John. And the whole whole entire Gospel of John is really answering the question, who is Jesus? And where we are in John chapter 6 here this morning is we are right in the middle of Jesus' discourse on his own deity. And today we will unpack that a little bit further in John chapter 6, verses 41 through 58. And in this section particularly, what I see is that Jesus, or what we are answering today, is why do people reject Jesus? I mean, why would somebody reject eternal life in paradise? And what I see this morning are three reasons in our passage together. So I'm beginning in verse 41. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he, he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And they were saying, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? And Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble amongst yourselves, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life, for I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that has come down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. But then notice the escalation here in verse 52 from verse 41. Then the Jews began to war, argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said, And truly should I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... You have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 55. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me... So he who eats me, he also will live because of me. Verse 58. And this is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread will live forever. Bow with me in a brief moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this morning. I thank you that we can reflect upon the Christmas season with uh, children. And Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you for Calvary Bible Church. I thank you for those that are tuning in online. And Lord, I thank you for your word, that we are here today to worship you, to fellowship together, and to hear from your scripture, and I pray that we would have ears to hear. Lord, I just thank you uh, for this church, I thank you for the scripture, Lord, I pray that we would apply it to our own lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn in those to John chapter 6 again, and I'm using the New American Standard Version, version 95, if you're curious, they just updated it about a month or so ago, just to confuse preachers around the world. But today I I want to answer a simple question, but it's really actually quite difficult to answer. Today I want to answer the question, why do people reject Jesus? Why do people reject the gospel? 
And my purpose today is what I hope we walk away with is understanding why and who people are rejecting when they turn down the gospel. Now, allow me to plant an image in your brain for just a moment. Allow me to ask you the question, how many of you are familiar with the uh, publisher clearinghouse sweepstakes? You know what I'm talking about by that? Okay, so Ed McMahon, right, coming to somebody's door, I think it's on Super Bowl Sunday, and surprising them with a fake, okay, probably, $10 million check, right? Now, how many of you have ever dreamed of receiving $10 million by Ed McMahon? Am I the only one in here? Okay, can I get two hands? Okay, please, so I can please retire, even though I probably never will. I can at least work for free. I'll say it that way, okay? But now I want you to imagine that scenario with me, that Ed McMahon and all the cameras and all the balloons and that $10 million check is walking up to your front door and your spouse or your child opens the door and then Ed McMahon presents that check your spouse or your child, instead of saying, you know, instead of fainting or whatever they do, falling on the ground or laughing or crying in happiness, imagine your spouse or your child saying to Ed McMahon, you know, no thanks, we're good. Now, if I was, if it was my child or my spouse, I would probably faint. Can I get an amen to that one? That somebody would have the audacity to turn down $10 million. But how much more value, valuable is eternal life? How much more valuable is eternal paradise in heaven with Jesus Christ? That we have this false skew that we would value $10 million in earthly possessions far more than we would ever value eternal life or eternal paradise. That we, I find it much crazier, although it seems very impractical right now in the here and now, to turn down eternal life, eternal paradise, than to turn down $10 million. So then the question is, is this, why would anybody turn down heaven? Why would anybody turn down the gospel? Just like that question, why would anybody turn down Ed McMahon and $10 million? But even a more important question is, why would somebody reject Jesus as their Savior? Why would somebody turn down heaven? I mean, just for a moment with me, just for a second, I, I want to unpack for us the doctrine of heaven and the doctrine of hell. Because when somebody believes, when somebody receives Jesus Christ as Savior, what do they receive? They receive a lot of things, but also they receive eternal paradise, or what we would call heaven. And when they reject Him altogether, what do we then deserve? We deserve what we would call is hell. So when somebody believes in Jesus, what are they receiving? They are receiving heaven. And what is that? Heaven is defined as the place where God is. Or a scholar puts it this way, heaven is the place where God most fully makes known His presence in order to bless. But what we do not realize oftentimes is that there are actually two different heavens. There is the present heaven, and then there is the new heaven and new earth, which is described in Revelation chapter 21. Just listen to how John describes heaven, the eternal paradise that awaits all believers in Jesus Christ says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. 
And a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any suffering, any mourning or crying or pain. For the first things have passed away. Who in their right mind would not want that? That we could dwell in a place of eternity far away from the tribulations, far away from COVID. Amen. Praise the Lord. Please rescue us. Okay. It's just the madness of the world right now. Who would not want to live in a place for forever, void of disease, void of despair, void of pain? But people reject heaven in Jesus Christ, the bridge to heaven every day. So then let's, let's just talk about this. If you reject Jesus, what are you inheriting? What are you gaining? What do we deserve? We deserve hell. And what is hell? One scholar defined it as hell is the place of eternal conscious punishment for the wicked. It is often referred to in the Bible as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. That if we reject Jesus as Savior, then what do we gain? This is in Luke chapter 16, verse 22. This is perhaps the most de- descriptive th- three or four verses on hell. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abram's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried in Hades. He lifted up his eyes, being tormented, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, please have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. Revelation 14 says this. It says, And then hell's smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, that they have no rest day and night. So, so, so why would anybody want that? You know, why would anybody not want heaven, a place that is void of COVID, a place that is void of disease, void of pain and tears? And why would anybody reject the gospel and choose hell, a place of fire? That is the question we have today, because what I see in our passage is that the crowds have been uh, presented. Ed McMahon has come to their door with a gift of eternal life. Sorry for comparing maybe Ed McMahon to Jesus, that's a terrible analogy. But moving on, that they have been presented the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they reject Jesus for three main reasons. If you have your scripture, go with me. Today, we will unpack verses 41 through 43. And if you just kind of very quickly to put our passage in the text itself, that Jesus in John chapter 6, verses 35 through 40, he tells the crowds, he tells the disciples that what is he, that he is the bread of life. He is the provider of eternal aliveness, that if you come to him, If you believe, if you humble yourself, realizing you cannot save yourself by all the good works that you do, if you come to Him humbly and you believe in Him that you will have eternal life, that is John chapter 6, verses 35 through 40. And then we see in the rest of the passage that we will unpack over the next couple of weeks the reason why the crowds reject Jesus. Notice the first one, verse 41. Therefore... The Jews were grumbling. Notice those two words, grumbling. We're grumbling. Notice that. I'm going to 
talk about it here in just a minute. We're grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. Notice that phrase as well. For they were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How then does he say, now I have come down out of heaven? Why do the crowds reject Jesus and the gospel? Well, reason number one is they doubt his person. If you have your notes, they doubt his person. I mean, what do they say here in verse 41? That, wait, how, how could Jesus say, how could Jesus possibly be from above? Why? Because we know his parents. But then notice that those two words, like I mentioned, is word grumbling. That in the original language uh, gives the idea of holy discontent. Okay, it's uh, people being gr- people being irritated at the preacher for comparing Ed McMahon to Jesus. Okay, so then what do we do? We, we when we're in holy discontent over a comment like that, we probably nudge our spouse or child and say, "Okay, that is the idea of grumbling." They are discontent. They are a little bit agitated because in their mind, how could Jesus have come down from above when they know his parents? But what don't they know? What do they not know theologically? And what happened that Jesus is from above? Why? Because he was what? He was born of a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit, which was absolutely necessary to have him immune from original sin. So the crowds here have no idea that he is truly from above. They just see, they just know his parents, and then they immediately write him off as Jesus is just a crazy guy in, in, that, that cannot be possibly from above because we know his parents here on earth, but they fail to know what he has, who has sent him and how he came. They reject Jesus because they know his parents. Now, Transfer this idea to the 21st century. Why do people today reject Jesus, reject eternal life? Why do they reject the gospel? Because they doubt his person. Islam believes that Jesus is just a prophet. Unitarians believe that Jesus is God's greatest creation, that he can't be fully divine. But a, but a savior that is just a prophet, a savior that is not fully divine, that is not fully human, cannot save us. But that Jesus must be from above and he must be fully man, fully God to pay for the sins of the world. The world rejects Jesus just like the crowds because they doubt him as a person and as Savior. But then notice the second reason for their rejection in verses 44 through 51. This part gets a little bit more controversial. Notice verse 44. It says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Notice that. Draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes me has eternal life. There it is again. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate of the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes out of heaven, so that one may eat of it. And not die. I'm the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give 
for the life of the world is my flesh. Why do the crowds reject Jesus? Number one is because of his person, and then second, because of his father's draw. Now I'm going to talk about a few words in this passage. I want you to notice the first two words in your English text. It says that no one. In the original language, that, those two words are actually only one word in the original language. It is, means that not even one. I believe it's the same word that's used in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, therefore, there's not even one thing that condemns you before God. Here it says, not even one person comes to me without the Father drawing him. And why don't they come? It's because the Father doesn't draw them. What is he talking about there? But it notice in verse 44, there's the Greek word here for draw, is the Greek word elkuse. What it literally means, it means to drag. It is used in John chapter 21, verse 11, for Peter dragging in a net full of fish. So, the reason they reject Jesus and the gospel, because the Father has not dragged them to believe. Now, what does that sound like? I'm hearing murmurs of it. That sounds like to me, in verse 44, it sounds a little bit like something we call predestination, that God somewhat chooses those who believe in Him, but, the, but, but I'm confused. So which one is it? Verse 44 says that no one can come to me unless the Father is sent to drags him to believe. But then in verse 40, there, it, Jesus says to come to him and believe. So in four verses apart, in, in John chapter 6 verse 40 and John chapter 6 verse 44, you have free will and then you have predestination that God drags those who believe. So then the question is, which one is it? Does God choose or do we choose? It's both. That it is both. That God chooses, but then also we must choose. That here in the scripture, I, I find John chapter 6 to be, a, in a lot of ways, perplexing. But one of them is for this very reason, because we have two paradoxical truths, side by side, four verses apart, that God chooses and that we must choose. And it makes no sense. And that's okay. A lot of things in life don't make sense. It's sometimes the scripture, sometimes the doctrine of God. Think about the Trinity, that God is one, but God is three. Three in one. That this is a great paradox, but it doesn't void it of truth. It's, as my friend Harvey would say, it's not logical, it's super logical. It is above my, under, my ability to understand or to comprehend. But there's a problem at hand. Because I would imagine here today, I've probably uh, divided my room. Because we as Christians like to lean towards things that we understand. We as human beings like to lean that way. That we can understand that God chooses, and we can understand that man chooses, but we don't understand where the two intersect. Now, I would imagine to some degree that most Christians would agree that there is some form of free will and that there is some form of predestination. But churches, and, and 20 years ago, this was part of the church here, churches have split over the issue of this very understanding. They split over the questions I'm about to list. 
Does God predestine only the elect? Does God predestine those whom he knows he will believe? Does man have regeneration before faith? Does God predestine those to heaven and predestine those to hell? Does man have free will to reject predestination? Is election conditional or unconditional? Is grace resistible or irresistible? Am I the only one that's wrestled with those questions? Probably all of us. And if you want to... um, if you want to split a church over one of those questions, there are plenty of other churches in town. So. Because here in the scripture, in John chapter 6, there is predestination and there is also free will. But, but there is a very practical side of this section. Think about, we are called to present the gospel with three things. If you looked at the scripture, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Romans chapter 10, verse 14... In John chapter 13, verse 35, that we are called to present the gospel with deed, with love, and with word. But what I see here in John chapter 6 is that we are not salesmen. I think sometimes that we, when we present the gospel with our deed, love, or word, that we think that we have to sell people on the idea But that's not our job. Our job is not to sell people. Our job is to basically go to the ends of the earth and present the truth of the scripture, present the truth of the gospel, and leave the results to God. I mean, here is Jesus. I mean, if anybody could have convinced and sold somebody to believe in the gospel, it was Jesus Christ. Because what did he just get done doing? He just got done healing a man beside the pool of Bethesda. He just got done feeding 5,000 people, probably more closer to 20,000 people, with five loaves and two fish. If anybody could have convinced them, it was Jesus, but still, people rejected the gospel. Friends, we are not salesmen. We are called to present the gospel with our love, with our deeds, and with our words. But then notice the third reason why people reject the gospel. Notice verse 52 through 58. It says, Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... You have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, whoa, he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Why do people reject Jesus? Number one is because they doubt his person. It's because they do not have the father's drag. And then reason number three is because of his message. Notice here in verse four, verse 52. I want you to notice the escalation of the crowds. If you have your text in front of you, notice the difference of the crowds between verse 41 and verse 52. In verse 41, what are they doing? They are grumbling. They are wholly discontent. They are irritated. They are probably gossiping about this crazy man named Jesus. But then notice the escalation. In verse 52, what does it say? It says, then the Jews began to argue. Now, that word argue in the original language is used only four times, and it's the Greek word mox omai, and it means to war. 
But think about the different image that you get with that, with the crowds. They're not really arguing, but what are they really doing? They are fighting amongst themselves over the message of Jesus. And what are they irritated about? They're irritated because why? Because Jesus said to them in verse 54... Well, back up to verse 50, go to verse 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. Verses 44 through 51, they are irritated because why? Because Jesus has seemingly asked them to take out a fork and a knife to eat his flesh. At least, so in their mind, they think that Jesus is advocating what? That he's advocating cannibalism. Okay? Now, now that seems, if you're new to Christianity and you see John chapter 6 and that Jesus says to eat his flesh and drink his blood, I would imagine that's a little bit hard to swallow. But what is Jesus really saying? I don't think Jesus is saying to take out a fork and knife and have some food. What is he saying? He's, I think he's saying this for two reasons. Reason number one is I think Jesus is illustrating to them and to the crowds what it means to believe in Jesus. That when we come to Him, we must come humbly. We must realize that our sin cannot save ourselves. We must believe in Him. And then when we come to Jesus, that we are partaking or that we are uh, participating in His blood and in His body, that we say that only by His death, only by His blood, only by His body being broken can we be saved. But I believe there's a second reason why Jesus says to eat his flesh and drink his blood. What are the crowds there for? The crowds have no interest whatsoever in the message of Jesus Christ. All they want is what? All they want is for their bellies to be full. Because just the day before, they are fed and then they take boats and they row eight miles across the Sea of Galilee to just find Jesus to have their bellies filled again. And Jesus knows that. Jesus knows exactly why they're there. They're they're not there to hear about the gospel, about eternal life. They're there to eat. And I believe Jesus says these things to chase them off. Because notice the result in John 6, 6, verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not with him any longer. I believe Jesus knew the result of sharing that to eat his flesh and drink his blood. He knew why they were there and he is sending them away with such a controversial message. But then I I look at Jesus' model here in John chapter 6 verses 41 through the end of the chapter And I think it's actually a great model for ministry. Because oftentimes churches are more consumed with keeping people happy or not offending people or kissing up to people and keeping them coming back and keeping them giving to the church. And if I'm truly transparent, I have found uh, this temptation as well. But here, Jesus doesn't care about making them happy. He cares about presenting the gospel in the truth of his word. Friends, we as a church, as Calvary Bible Church, must be consumed for the same. That we cannot be consumed with 
all the time appealing to the masses and watering down the message of the gospel just to appeal to people, but that we as a body, we as believers must be about making disciples, guiding all people to become biblical followers of Christ. We cannot be here for nickels, what Brian Rose would say, nickel, nickels, noses, and nails. But we must be here on Sunday morning to fellowship together, to worship God, and to hear from his scripture and the truth that we find there. So why do people reject Jesus? Why do the crowds reject him? Is because of his person, because of the Father's draw, and because of his message. But I find, deep down in this passage, I find a lot of comfort. Because I look at John chapter 6, and I look at the crowds doubting the message of the gospel. They, they walk away from Jesus, and I think to myself that, you know, if Jesus, if they rejected Jesus, well then I, and he was okay with that, then people will reject me. They're not really rejecting me, however, they're rejecting Jesus. I find great comfort in the thought that I do not have to worry about people's preferences or selling them or getting hurt, because I realize that when people reject the gospel, they are not rejecting me, but they are rejecting the Messiah, Jesus Christ. My point today is this, if you have your notes, it's on the back. So when people reject the gospel, they are not rejecting us, but they are rejecting Jesus and God in the message of the gospel. As we go, as we go with the gospel, with our words, with our deeds, and with our love, we must know that people are watching our lives, we must know that people will wrestle with, this, with the gospel, with eternal life, and we also must know that people will turn away. But that does not excuse us from going to the ends of the earth, going to our family members, going to our neighbors, going to the people at our work, and sharing the truth. My application is basically two different principles on evangelism. Principle number one is this, is what I've basically just shared, is that we are called to evangelize in deed and in word and in love. We are called, we are mandated by scripture to go with deed, with love, and with the words of truth. And I know that if you've lived and come to church for any length of time, that that principle is like as a child, and they kind of start beginning to ignore their mother when they say that to go pick up their clothes, right? It becomes eventually like what? Like wah, 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 wah. I've heard that over and over and over and over again. But it does not void the command that we must go to the ends of the earth in deed and love and in word to present the truth to all. But then principle number two is this, that when we share with deed, with word, and with love, if people turned down Jesus, then they will turn down you. That if Jesus faced opposition for his message, then we will as well. We are not salesmen with the gospel. We are merely messengers of the gospel. That as we go... We must go with words in our mouth, actions in our hands, and love in our hearts to proclaim that Jesus 
has died and that he is the bridge to heaven and eternal life. And if you're a Christian here today, then guess what awaits you? Heaven. That there is a place that when you pass from this life and you move to the next, that there is a place that is far from the worries of the world, far from pain and far from tribulation. And in that day, that you will understand what it means to be truly alive. That you will understand for the very first time what it means to have a relationship with the Lord that is, that is absent from sin. That you will understand one day what it means to walk with the Lord far from the diseases and trials and tribulations of life. But for those of you who do not know Christ here today, then today I present to you a $10 million check, so to speak. Today, what I am thinking, if you do not know Jesus Christ, that I believe that Jesus Christ is coming to the door of your heart, and he's presenting you a $10 million check, but that, that, that check is incomprehensible in comparison to what awaits you if you believe in the gospel. That if you would trust in Jesus Christ, that if you would come to him realizing that you cannot save yourself, that there are not enough good works that you can do to earn your way to heaven, but that if you would just come to him humbly and you would believe in him, that you would have eternal life, that Jesus Christ would come inside and he would change your life forever. This is unplanned, what I'm about to share, so forgive me. Um, at the Elder Deacon Retreat that we had about a month ago, it was, a, it was a wonderful time. We had about 12 or 13 men around the circle, great men that serve and that lead here at the church. And they, what I found amazing, uh, that there was a giant correlation that most of the men that serve as elders and deacons actually came to Christ as adults. But what I also find amazing is that most of the men came to Christ by some prayer or some moment in time where they just bowed their heads and, and believed and prayed to God and, and received His gospel. So I, I, here's the thing. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ, then I would encourage you to come to him and pray. And you would say that something like, Dear Jesus, I believe that you have saved me from my sin and that, that I believe that you give me eternal life and that by faith in him and by faith in you, I can be saved. If you have never trusted Christ as Savior, then believe in him and you shall have eternal life in paradise. Bow with me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Um, Lord, it is, it is mind-blowing for people to reject you because they have little idea what awaits them. And Lord, we know practically, we know theologically, we know biblically that people will turn away, will turn you down. But Lord, that does not change the mandate that which we have to go and to share boldly, knowing that they are not rejecting us, but they are rejecting you as Savior. And Lord, I pray that we would be lights to the world. That we would be different. That we would put our faith up on a lampstand for the world to see. Lord, that we would not shrink underneath the weight of fear to present the truth to those around us. And Lord, I just... Uh, 
but a magnificent thought that what awaits me and what awaits these believers in here is eternal paradise far away from this crazy 2020 year. Lord, I just pray for those that do not know you. I pray that they would come to you, that they would believe in you, and that they would see the change that you give. And Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for those tuning in online. I thank you for us as a church and the collection and the unity and the love. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.